0: One of the things I want to talk about today is trials and joy. In one of my Bible classes in college, I had a professor. We were going through the book of Psalms and Proverbs, and he said, uh, Students, I want you to read the entire book of Psalms and Proverbs. And as you're reading it, I want you to go ahead and highlight when you come across a scripture that you feel is a life scripture. One that just kind of resonates with you, one that you would like to memorize for your own personal good, and, or one that you would maybe know that you're going to use for other people as a pastor or leader. And so I loved that exercise. That was 30 years ago. I just loved that exercise. And so I did it for that class. And then it, was, it so touched me for the last 30 years, I've done it all throughout my Bible. There's different, if you were to look at my Bible, it's color-coded and all kinds of checks and stars and you name it. But anything that's in yellow with a check next to it is a scripture that I either wanted to memorize or be able to go back to quickly if I was studying. And it has been the greatest exercise for me. And so one of those scriptures that I knew that I was going to need to memorize just as a Christian, but also as a pastor, There's a scripture I want to look at here this morning, and it's one that you hear me quote often around here. And it's James chapter 1. So I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of James, please. Turn to the book of James, chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything the scripture at first seems like it reads like a contradiction consider it pure joy in the midst of testing and trials joy trials aren't they opposites and so you would look at that go what does this really mean You want me to feel joy during the breakup with my boyfriend or girlfriend? Seriously? I'm supposed to feel joy in the midst of this? You want me to feel joy in the light of the fact that my husband cheated on me or my wife cheated on me? You want me to feel joy in the midst of that? You want me to feel joy with that accident, that stroke, that prodigal, that cancer, that bankruptcy, that Alzheimer's, that abuse? You want me to feel joy? in the midst of all that stuff and jesus is saying yes i do and i want to unpack that for us today so that we know what that means because it sure seems like a contradiction to me and it would to you maybe at first reading when you read it years ago or whenever you came to the lord first thought it may even make you mad that someone would suggest such a thing especially god what do you mean joy god are you there do you know what i'm going through what do, you, what do you mean you're asking me to consider it joy in the midst of this pain? Before we get too much further, I'd like to, us to understand the biblical definition of joy. We have a worldly definition of joy, but I want you to understand the biblical definition of joy. Watch this.
1: Being in a good mood is really great. And most languages have lots of words to describe the experience, like happy, cheerful, joyful, and so on the same goes for the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety of words, like simcha, sason, or gil. In the Greek New Testament, there's kara, euphersune, or agaliasis. Each word has its own unique nuance, but they all basically refer to the feeling of joy and happiness. Now what makes these biblical joy words interesting is noticing the kinds of things that bring happiness, and also seeing how joy is a key theme that runs through the whole story of the Bible. Let's start with sources of joy. On page one of the Bible, God says that this world is very good. and So naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things of life, like growing flocks or an abundant harvest on the hills. The poet of Psalm 104 says a good bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts. People find joy at a wedding or in their children. There's even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings Mm. to your heart. However, human Human history isn't just a joy fest. The biblical story shows how we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So when the Israelites were suffering from slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom. And the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. Even though they were in the middle of a desert, they were vulnerable, the promised land was still far away, they rejoiced anyway. Later biblical poets looked back on this story and they remembered how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. This joy in the wilderness, this was a defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. This theme appears later in Israel's story, when Israel suffered under the oppression of foreign empires. The prophet Isaiah looked for a day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses. That's when those redeemed by the Lord will return to Zion with glad shouts, with eternal joy crowning their heads. Happiness and joy will overtake them. And while the Israelites waited, they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. This is why it's significant that when Jesus of Nazareth was born, it was announced as good news that brings great joy. We're told that Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to God his Father when he began to announce the kingdom of God. He even taught his followers the same joy in the wilderness, saying, When people reject you or persecute you for following me, rejoice, be very glad, because your reward is great in heaven. After his death and resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to go out and announce the good news that he was the risen king of the world. And as they did so, the early Christian communities were known for being full of joy, even when they were persecuted. Like when the apostle Paul was sitting in a dirty Roman prison, he could say that he's chosen joy even if he gets executed. He called this the joy of faith or joy in the Lord. He believed it was the gift of God's spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you, inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. Now, this doesn't mean that you ignore or suppress your sorrow. That's not healthy or necessary. Paul often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he acknowledged his pain, he also made a choice to trust Jesus, that his loss wouldn't be the final word. This is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And that's what biblical joy is all about.
0: So as you can see, the world's definition of joy or happiness and how we get it is a lot different than biblical joy. I like one of the statements that they made in this uh, here. A Christian's joy is a profound decision of faith and hope and the power of Jesus' own life and love. Just important that you let that sink in because that's what it's all about. First Peter also addresses this. Go over one book, up one book to 1 Peter. He addresses this issue of joy in the midst of trials as well. 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 1, verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine And may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. In these passages, we see the instruction of what we should do. From James says, Consider it pure joy, consider trials consider trials pure joy. First Peter, in this you greatly rejoice. In what? In suffering. So in the midst of the the trials and the suffering that we're going through in life, God still is calling us to his joy. And what does that even look like? I guess the big, big question is why? Why rejoice in hardships? Why? What's the purpose of it? Of rejoicing when we're suffering and rejoicing in hardships? Well, because trials make us stronger. Do we grow more when good times or do we grow more when there's a little bit of pain? It's like an athlete. You grow when you push yourself. You grow when you stretch those muscles. You grow when you go that extra half mile, quarter mile, mile. That's when you really begin to develop. You add more weight on the barbells. You grow most emotionally as well in the midst of trials. They're supposed to make us stronger. I love it when Kelly Clarkson song comes on the radio. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I crank that sucker up. I just love that song <laughs> for some reason. I just love that song. And I'll be pulling in my driveway and the, the Jeep is shaking and my kids, my kids know it's either Adele or Kelly Clarkson or somebody. It's like, it's like dad, really? Yes, really, really. <laughs> So they are supposed to make us stronger. The thing is, I need to add a caveat here. If we let them. If we let them. The, the, the strong, the, the suffering, the trials, the temptations, the testing in life will, if we let it, make us stronger. It actually will. But you have to let it. You have to let it. The James passage, passion clear, passage clearly states, The testing of our faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must have its way so that you'll be mature, not lacking anything if you let it. If you let it. The Peter passage states that our faith, which is priceless, will be proved genuine and result in praise to God if we let it. If we let it. I want those things, but I have to let God do his work in me in the midst of those testings and those trials. You may say, okay, Rick, I want to be mature and I want my faith to be genuine, but how can I find joy in the midst of all the junk and the hardships and the suffering and the pain I'm currently going through? How do I, how do I find peace there? How do I find that joy? And that really is the question. It really is the question. So let me answer it. How do we find that peace, that joy in the midst of heartache? We need to understand that the joy the world gives us is not the same as the joy that the spirit gives us. That's number one. We're actually looking in the, in the wrong place sometimes to find that joy and happiness. Worldly joy or happiness comes and goes as often as the waves and the tide come in. It just comes and goes and comes and goes. It's fleeting. It's fleeting. It isn't something you can cling to when you've lost a loved one or you're going through bankruptcy or your husband walks out. You can't look to worldly joy because it's not there. It won't last it's, it's just very, very temporary. But the joy that the Lord gives us through the Holy Spirit, now that lasts. The Spirit's joy or happiness can stay with you for a long haul. For the believer, the fruit of the Spirit, including joy, is like a bottomless well of water. There's always an abundant supply. Always. Even in the darkest days, when sadness, grief, and loss may threaten to overwhelm you, God's joy is there. It is there. So that's the first point. Second point, God's joy cannot be taken away. It cannot be taken away. As believers, we are promised the constant presence of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. He never leaves us. Bible said, Jesus said before he went to heaven, I leave you a helper. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's joy is, and, and joy is synonymous in our lives. When we get the Holy Spirit, we also get joy if we'll let it, if we'll accept it, if we'll acknowledge it. Jesus' words in John 15, 11 said this, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that you your joy may be complete. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You cannot separate those two. You cannot separate the two. And that's the only way that you're going to be able to make it in the midst of suffering and trials. If you acknowledge that, you cannot separate joy and the Holy Spirit. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, the joy of the Lord. You remember that first joy you had when you accepted Jesus? As your, you couldn't believe it. It was, it was greater and bigger than happiness. It was like, I remember just like, wow, all these sins I've committed up until the age of 22 in Las Vegas and all the smut and stuff that I did as a military, as an airman, and all the garbage in my life. And I remember on April Fool's Day when I was 22 and gave my heart to the Lord in church, I was like, oh my goodness. It was like the joy I felt with the the birth of our first child. And and then the other two. There's there's no joy like that. There's just no joy. I'm speaking as a man here, okay? Uh, So, (laughs) sorry ladies. But for us, it's like, I had an elder one time tell me in our church in Las Vegas, he said, Rick, when Mimi gives birth to your first child, there's going to be a level of love that wells up inside of you that you didn't even know that you had. I never forgot that. I never forgot that. A, a level of love that I felt for Mimi and a level of love for this little guy that I had never met. It was, it was overwhelming to me. That's the joy I felt at salvation. Lord, take not the joy of my salvation. It's the joy of salvation. And that never leaves us. You know, it gets a lot of dings and it gets a lot of hits and a lot of body blows. But that joy is inside of us. The joy that we first felt at salvation. If we will embrace it. If we will continue to invite it into our lives. Especially in the midst of trials and testings. That's when we really have to bring it into us. So it's important that we understand that. And the third one, I'll I'll be a little blunt here. Stop whining and complaining and grab onto God's joy. You know, again, and I'm not, you know, being trite here when it comes to the pain that people go through. I know this sounds stark, but just like salvation, joy is a free and perfect gift from God. And we must reach out and grab onto it like a lifeline, like a lifeline. You know, you, you meet Christians, you know, through the years and you ask them how they're doing. And it's the same story. It's the same sad story over and over and over again. It never changes. That's what I'm talking about. It's, it, there's some kind of attention that's received at a pity poor me party that we just kind of keep it up. And that's not what God wants. He wants us to move into the joy that he has for us and all the gifts that he has for us. But we can sit there because maybe we get some kind of a thrill or whatever, attention by having everybody know. We walk in with a, a sad face and we are expecting, are you okay? Are you okay? Just that little bit of attention sometimes is enough to keep people going. It's like smile. Smile. It takes a lot more muscles to frown than it does, you know, physiologically, than it does to smile. Like 10 times as many muscles to, to frown as it does to smile. Smile. It's the window to your heart. It lets everybody else know that there's a loving and a caring person inside. Smile. Let's try that. Go ahead, smile. Turn to your neighbor and just smile. Yeah, see, just just does something to us. Just does something. All right, stop it, stop it. It's too much, it's too much. So, But I'm just saying this, and please hear me. I, I love you folks, and I'm not trying to, you know, just give some kind of a, yeah, you know, yeah, just grow up, you know. No, that's not what I'm saying. I know, I know it hurts. I know some of you have been pulverized. You have been devastated by life. You've gone through tremendous pain. I sat with a woman last, last Sunday during our potluck, I knew a little bit about this woman, but it was neat. I saw her sitting there by herself. And uh, so I went over to, I said, hey, can I sit with you? And so I sat with her and I, you know, this, this lady is really special to me. And as we were talking, more of the backstory started coming out in her life. I knew some of her story uh, because I've talked to her a little bit, but then just sitting there having lunch together last Sunday here. And she started to tell, tell me more of her story. Oh my goodness. It was devastating. You're talking cancer. You're talking divorce. You're talking the death of a child. You're talking drugs and alcohol in her in some of her children. You're talking just suffering after suffering, pain after pain, trial after trial. And yet she sat there, and you know what was all over her face? The joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. I know it's possible. I have met those saints over the years who they've been devastated by life, but they didn't let life beat them up to the point that they're always walking around with a frown, that they are able to say, I am not going to let this take me out. I am God's child. God lives in me and I am in him, as John said. And I am going to represent that each and every day. When I look in the mirror, I am God's child. The joy of the Lord is all over this woman's face. All over her face. And she lives it every day. And just even while driving home last Sunday, hearing more of her story. I was like, oh God. How in every morning, most mornings of every week, she sends me a text. Almost every morning. And she sends me a picture. She gets these pictures. I don't know where. But she gets them not just off the internet. But people, friends of hers from all over the country send her these pictures. Of the one in Wyoming last week of a sunrise. It was like gorgeous. And then she adds these scriptures to it. I get one of those almost every morning from her just to make my day. But this woman has had body blow after body blow after body blow after body blow. But she still chooses to say, no, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And it's possible, guys. It is possible. We don't have to let this life play with us to the point that we are devastated and taken out. So I just want to encourage you that it is possible. Even in the midst, I want you to choose joy over bitterness. Choose joy over anger. Choose joy over sorrow. It's your choice. It's my choice. Choose joy. Choose joy. With the Holy Spirit's help inside of us, we can make a decision to choose joy every day. That's what this woman does. She chooses every morning joy. 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 How do, we do, how do we know that? Because scripture says we can, and others have already done it. Scripture says we can, and there's examples all around us. Paul was encouraging the church at Thessalonica when he said, You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcome the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Also says, Be joyful always, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. After we work through the initial sadness and grief of our pain, loss, or suffering, God in his great love holds out joy for us. But you do need to grieve. Please don't ever hear me say today that just get over it. You do need to grieve. You do need counseling, possibly. You do need time. You need all those things. Some of the things that you folks have been through, you do need that. You do need that. It's not a flippant thing I'm talking about here today. Grieve your losses. Grieve your losses. The birthday comes around. Grieve your losses. The anniversary comes around. Grieve your losses. Something that you smell, something that you hear, something that you taste, reminds you of them. Grieve your losses. Go there. Emote. Allow yourself to feel. That's not wrong. God gave us all these emotions. Weep if you have to. Maybe somebody be around you that will weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. But don't be afraid to just let it out. Don't be afraid at times to shake your fist at God. Don't be afraid at times to say things you can't believe that you're saying. Just be authentic. Just be real. Just be honest. He can handle it. He's got big shoulders. Okay, so talk to him and share your heart with him. He, he understands, he knows, he'll, he'll bring his healing bomb and sob to you in, 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 when it's all said and done, but you got to let it go. You got to let it go. And some people just have stuffed it and you bury it. And when you bury it alive, it comes back up at the worst times. Don't bury it alive. Don't bury it alive. Okay? Make sure you bring closure to the pain in your life. Bring closure and, and that's going to have, have be a process over time that that happens. And don't, don't apologize for that. But then when you're ready, the Holy Spirit holds out joy in the midst of suffering, in the spite of He holds out joy to you. He says, grab it. Grab it. My Holy Spirit wants to give you joy. He wants to give you joy. And we have to bring it into our lives. God holds out. Such great joy for us. The question is, will we allow the Holy Spirit to complete that in us? Too often we see trials in a negative light. Or we assume that joy cannot exist in hardship. It can. It can. Or worse yet, unfortunately, many Christians think that trials are God's punishment. Spiritual immaturity considers hard times we go through as God's curse Upon us, or his punishment for our sin, rather than what they really are as opportunities to joyfully mature and become more Christ like. How many Christians say, Oh, God's punishing me? God, that word is not in, in God. God isn't punishing you, okay? Just because you're going through a trial or a test or a temptation or something. God, that's not God punishing you. It's a trial, it's a test please don't internalize that to say, what am I doing wrong? That's, that's just so commonplace in Christendom. And it's not necessary because your identity and who you are in Christ. That's what we grab onto in the midst of the testing and the trials. When something comes upon you, you got to stop and say, whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, this is going to take me out. How am I going to handle this? God, are you punished? Stop. If you even think that, that's not of God. God. It's not of God. And so that's spiritual immaturity. And God wants us to mature so that we are not lacking anything to persevere in the midst of trials, to, to see joy on the other side of this, because that's what God's going to bring to us if we'll just persevere and, 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 and fight that fight with God and just embrace his help as a Holy, with the Holy Spirit. And let the Holy Spirit guide you and he will. And it's just, it's so powerful. So powerful. James encourages Christians to embrace trials, not for what they, are, they presently are, but for the outcome God will accomplish through them. The outcome that God will accomplish through them. James 1.12 said this, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. James 1:12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. As I close, I want to encourage you to not lose hope, to not lose hope in the midst of your trials. When we say that we want to be a church that lives by faith, is known by love and is a voice of hope. We want to lead from a position of hope. We want to leave people with hope. A church that lives by faith is known by love and is a voice of hope. I'm not just talking about the world's hope. I'm talking about biblical hope. Let's watch this video. See
1: what the so let's say you is. want to describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation, and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible, and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the floodwaters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kavah, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavahs for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kava and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, At this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find the same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms, where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kavah for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord, because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sins. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see, in any situation, how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better, But you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea. He lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires. And he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope. Like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus, and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kavah for? You are my yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated the similar habit of hope. They believed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope, and they used the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The Apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope that people can be reborn to become new and different kinds of humans. So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope are all about. So, as
0: I close, when we look back at what Jesus has done for us, we can then look forward with joy, even in the midst of trials. Look back. We have a God who's crazy about us, who sent his son to die for our sins. Are you kidding? Talk about hope. Talk about joy. Just reflect and meditate on that when we're going through The the trials and the testing and the temptations of life. Just stop and look back and say, he gave it all for me. He he provided an out for me. There's no temptation common to man that God has not provided an out. Take door number one. Door number two and three are not good. But as we're walking through life, that door opens and God says, I'm going to provide an out. You can say no. You can say no. Because I said yes to you. Because I said yes to you. And so that's the hope and the joy. Again, easier said than done, I understand that. Please hear me say that. But guys, it wouldn't be in here if God didn't think that we could mature to a level of that. When people look at our face, no matter what we've gone through, they see the joy of the Lord. They see the joy of the Lord. And I like how H.B. Phillips translation puts James 1 and 2. When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers and sisters, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Realize that they come to test your faith and to produce in you the quality of endurance. But let the process go on until that endurance is fully developed, and you will find you have become men and women of mature character with the right sort of independence. And if in the process... Any of you does not know how to meet any particular problem. He has only to ask God. Amen. Amen? Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you give us great hope and great joy. Even in the midst of trials. I pray, Father, that we would persevere. That we would not quit. That we would take what you have promised us. The joy of the Lord. You, we would grab onto that. It's offered to us freely. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. He is full. You are full, Holy Spirit, of joy. We can't separate the two. Joy and the Holy Spirit are synonymous. So God, well up inside of us, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So Holy Spirit, have your way with us, even in the midst of all the pain and the suffering that we live in this world. This world will not get better but we can help us to choose joy over sorrow, joy over anger, joy over pain, in pain, as a result of pain. Oh God, we would go nowhere else except to run to you. So Father, I pray for each and every one of us this morning. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. God would hope that is to all of us, What hope that is. So bless us, Lord, this day, this Sabbath. Give us some time to steal away with you and think about what has been sung about here this morning and what has been taught from your word. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. amen.